episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren, Salutations, and Daniel. Hey! Today we're discussing Season 7, Episode 8, which is titled The Dance We Do. The episode aired on December 7th in the year 2000. Lauren, what was going on that week 22 years ago? Eh, not much, really. The news is probably dominated by the ongoing court battle to see who wins the U.S. presidential election. No big deal. Can't wait to see how Florida screws us. Yep, that's fine. Uh, Somehow Lizzie missed one of her favorite super, quote, superhero flicks debuting, Unbreakable, starring Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, and Robin Wright. After debuting at number seven, the film has held the second place spot at the box office charts over the last two weeks. However, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is still the number one movie for the third week in a row. It's all, I always love seeing movies like that shoot up the charts. Like mm. when it's like, oh yeah, it, only, it didn't add that many more theaters, but it's per theater went way up. Mm-hmm. And Independent Woman by Destiny's Child remains the number one song. As for what else was on that evening at 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with All the Candy. At 8.30, Cursed with the episode, and then he looked at Wendell's thing. I'm officially over Cursed's bit. Like, the, yeah. the, the bit is getting old, and like yeah. I'm, I'm glad that this show doesn't uh, last very long. Uh, at 9 p.m., Will and Grace had a rerun, and at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with the episode Slamming Jack. This week's episode had 28 million viewers tuning in, directed by Christopher Messiano, doing his 8th out of 11. Uh, previous one of his from this season was Sand and Water, and written by Jack Orman, doing his 14th out of 28. Previous ones of his from this season were Sand and Water and Homecoming. Uh, in keeping with our theme of alternate titles this season, uh, we have one of the more promising uh, alternate titles, but I'm still glad they went with the one they did. Uh, the original title for this episode was Rapid Cycling. Uh, and we also have no Weaver, no Romano, and no Chen this week. The title definitely would have been appropriate, though. Yeah, no, I could totally see why that might have been a working title at one point, but I think the one they landed on was the superior choice. Indeed. Our previously on this week is brought to us by Cleo, and we open the episode with Abby waking up to a knock on her door. Uh, room service comes in. Dr. Kovach ordered breakfast. Oh, yeah. Remember that Dr. Kovach lives in a hotel? Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's lasted much longer than him living on a boat, so I'll take it. It's very true. And Lauren noticed something? Uh, those sheets looked way too cozy to be at somebody's house. That, that bed looked way too nice. It's like my bed never looks this comfy. Uh, well, Kovach offers her some breakfast, and then they have a real awkward little little weird thing, dance, whatever you want to call it. Like, oh, yeah, bye, okay, okay. Yeah, we, we've okay, definitely, bye. I think we have firmly reached the awkward phase of uh, Abby and Luca 1.0. Like, this is, we're, we're definitely firmly into the part of the season, I think, where uh, Jake's, like, issues with them have at least an ounce more credibility than they did early on in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we go over to Maggie is sewing in Abby's apartment. I love this apartment, by the way. Um, it turns out she bought the fabric that she's using with the bus money that Abby had given her to go back to Florida. And she has a job interview today at a store, a very high-end store. Um, and Maggie starts talking about Luca and she goes, Oh, he's too old to be playing hard to get. And he and says that he stares at Abby all the time. So, like, just, okay, Maggie. And um, Abby goes into the bathroom to shower and just get a breather and then is counting Maggie's pills when Maggie walks in and catches her. 
Abby also asks if she got more Prozac, Zoloft, or Effexor, the antidepressant she's not supposed to be taking, and wants her to take a blood test to confirm she's not on any other meds before she goes to her job interview. Holy uh, purple in that apartment. <laughs> like, every, did you notice how everything in that apartment, not just the fabric she's using, but the uh, the table she's working on, the um, the chairs that she's sitting in, the shirt that, that Sally Field is wearing, like, all the... All the stuff in that apartment, for some reason, is, like, thematically purple. And I don't know if that's an, a deliberate choice for uh, Abby's character or if that was just the uh, set decorator was really obsessed with purple that week. It's because they saw the number two movie in the, of America, Unbreakable, and they were just really obsessed with Samuel L. Jackson's look from the movie. I completely did not notice any of the purple at all. It did it, not stand out to me one bit. Once you are looking for it, it's everywhere. Like it is on, okay. it's on the curtains. I think even the shower curtain and the, you can see the bathroom door is like open as they're talking. And I think even the shower curtain is purple. It's everywhere. Okay. We'll check that out. But we are in with some bangs and then Corday and Mark are on the train discussing the lawsuit and she's going in for, um, the, oh my God, what's it called? Deposition. Thank you. I was going to say disposition, but that's not right. Lawyers. She's going in for the deposition today, and Mark's like, relax, you've done a hundred of these. Which is weird, the procedure, not the deposition. Which is weird, because as a listener pointed out last episode, she's not neuro. She should not have done a hundred of these. This should not be a routine surgery for Elizabeth Corday. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, she says she does not remember checking the endoscope, and if the field was clear or not at the end of the procedure. I do like the little bit of like light continuity of uh, her kind of looking to Mark for like guidance with this whole process, not just because he's her fiance, but also because he went through the whole deposition thing back with the um, Love's Labor Lost case back in season one. So like he literally has been through this whole process before. And so it's just interesting, not interesting, but it's just like nice that we get those little tiny continuity beats without them completely spelling it out. Didn't he also go through one with uh, Kenny as well? I think, yeah, I guess, I guess that was more of a formal deposition. The one with Love's Labor Lost was kind of a combo um, deposition slash uh, there was the M&M with that mm-hmm. one too. So it was kind mm. of, there was the hospital at and they spent more time with the hospital. He does go for a deposition uh, for the Love's Labor Lost thing, but it's like you don't really get to see as much of that. There's just that one awkward meeting in the hall outside with uh, Bradley Whitford. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're going to have all the deposition broken up throughout mm-hmm. the entire because it's it features one of my favorite, oh, hey, it's that guy's, and I'm going to get every bit of him that I can. <laughs> this is such a listening party this week. Yes. Hey, we, have, we haven't had one in a while, so yeah. deal with it. Uh, well, let's go back to where we are in the episode. Maggie is fussing and nervous at the hospital while Abby's trying to draw the blood, and she clearly doesn't want Abby to do it. And Bellucci just randomly pops in, and looks like he's hiding from someone. Mm-hmm. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, because like he's just standing, like he's just like standing by the door and like looking out. And I was like, oh hey, I was like, oh hey, Mrs. What, uh, Mrs. Locker. Mrs. Locker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and he started, which, which she and corrects him, yeah, and it's Mrs. Dub, Mrs. W. Yeah, and they start flirting a little bit because you know Sally feels an attractive woman. Um, Abby tells her just to go and not to be late to her interview without drawing the blood. Just kind of laughs it off. No big deal. And we 
quickly go out to the uh, admit desk where we see why Malucci was uh, ducking into the uh, exam room there and hiding. A girl named Stephanie is at the desk looking for Malucci and just tells Randy to uh, tell him that uh, Stephanie's looking for him or that she stopped by. And uh, I think it's Cleo who's at the desk with Randy who's like, why? Like, I don't get the whole Malucci thing. Like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't get why people find him attractive. And we get actually a little line of continuity here. I think I said it back around all in the family time that I wish they had actually gone through with a full-fledged, like, mini ship of uh, Malucci and Randy. And we get some light confirmation here from Randy that uh, at least something happened because she says, don't knock it till you try it. So, uh, but uh we uh, then see Maggie coming back in from the ambulance bay where she yells for help, says that somebody got thrown from a car and is bleeding, and turns out that it's Jesse's girlfriend who showed up uh, for the first time during the visit, uh, Kanisha. And Abby tells Maggie to go uh, while Abby and Cleo uh, get her handled. So we'll check back in with that a little bit later. I hate it. Um, <laughs> that's going to be my song throughout this entire storyline. Uh, but let's go to our the aforementioned deposition. Let's go to our first audio clip of it. Uh, Corday and her lawyer are waiting to go into it. Mr. Resnick called from the garage. He's on his way up now. Thank you. We'll wait another five minutes and then we'll leave. I can stay. I've taken all day off. Yeah, we shouldn't have to play these kinds of games. Corday, good to see you. Bruce. Sorry to keep you waiting. There was a pileup on the expressway. Real mess. I'm sure. You must be Dr. Corday. Yes. Bruce Resnick. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you. They didn't tell me you were so stunning. <laughs> That's okay. You don't have to respond. Uh, is the court reporter set up, friend? In the library. Let's get going. After you. Hey, Irene, how are you this morning? Fine, Mr. Resnick. Yourself? Can't complain. Hey. Please, have a seat. Ignore the camera. Thank you. Everyone was rubbernecking past this accident. I waited my turn, so of course, I take a look, you know, human nature, and these firemen are using one of those big steel um, things to cut. What do you call them? Uh, jaws of life. Jaws of life, right. Well, they look pretty dangerous to me. You ever use one of those? No, not personally. It was cutting into the car like a can opener. Anyway, should we start? Certainly. Please raise your right hand. Is there no Bible? No. Do you swear to tell the truth in this matter, so help you God? Yes. We are on the record in a deposition on the behalf of the plaintiff, Al Patterson, plaintiff's attorneys, Bruce Resnick, Gordon Price. For the defense, doctor, could you state and spell your name for the record? Elizabeth Corday, C-O-R-D-A-Y. Doctor, how long have you been a surgeon? Including residency? Yes. Ten years. Have you ever had a, a deposition taken before? No, this is the first. After ten years, that's pretty good. Well, only three have been in America. Touche. I, I think Lizzie and I were doing the exact same thing looking up this actor. So, uh, Daniel, take <laughs> it away and then we'll talk about everything. Uh, okay. Well, so our two lawyers here. The first we'll start with Lizzie's uh, defense lawyer here. He's played by actor Matt Craven, uh, who appeared in stuff like Crimson Tide, X-Men First Class, and A Few Good Men. And he's making his first of three appearances. Uh, and the uh, 
I guess you could say prosecute. I'm sure Jake is probably like screaming at me right now because I'm not using the right terminology. But uh, Bruce, the other attorney, Bruce Resnick, he is played by uh, definite. Oh, hey, it's that guy. And and whose name I have not been practicing how to say the entire week leading up to this recording. Uh, Jelko Ivanic, uh, who appeared in stuff like and I'm going to I'm I'm going to ignore something that somebody has seen him in and they're going to have a fit and I'm sorry but the the dude has been in a ton of stuff. Uh three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, Seven Psychopaths, Argo, a ton of different The thing I recognize him from most uh like immediately is uh the HBO series Oz where he played the uh complete and total psychopath asshole governor um mm. and was on that show for years. Uh, but he, he's got 111 credits to his name and a lot of them are uh, a lot of them are stuff like this where it's like one episode um, but there's a lot of things where he was like a recurring character too I, f- I found one very interesting did you know he's an incur- a recurring character across like three or four different Munchverse shows Ooh. as the same character I did not yep he no. was go ahead Lizzie I was gonna say I know him because every single time from like 2014 on pretty much one of my mom's favorite shows is Madam Secretary, mm. and I forget who exactly he plays, but he's a major. He's a he's one of the he's a bigger character on that show. He's on the, like a, over a hundred episodes of that show. Yeah. yeah, but he was in Law and Order, Homicide the movie, and Homicide Life on the Street as ASA Ed Danvers. All right, well there you go. So fun little munch verse thing there, but yeah, I also love how. Um, Lizzie's lawyer is just like, oh, you're so stunning. <laughs> you, you don't have to respond to that. <laughs> like, ugh. I, no, that was Bruce. That was Bruce that, that was said Bruce. that. Sorry. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I was, I was, was reading extra... I was reading Lizzie's lawyer as yeah. I was saying, and I'm sorry. No, that's why it was extra weird, because it was the defense attorney. <laughs> like, yeah. mm, you're hot. Is it, is the no, he's the prosecuting, prosecuting attorney. attorney. He's, he's prosecuting because, yeah. he's, because they're suing Lizzie. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I like the little uh, like cinematography thing where when they come in and he says, don't don't worry about the camera because there's a camera over his shoulder mm-hmm. that's recording the whole deposition. But for the purposes of that shot, they use the actual camera as the camera, because when he says, mm-hmm. don't worry about the camera, Lizzie sits down at the table and looks directly down the barrel of the camera, which you would never see anybody do under normal circumstances. But because we are being told there's a camera in the room, they get to do it for once. So that yeah. was cool. Absolutely. But yeah, we're setting the scene. I love the I love the way, dude. I can't pronounce his. I will never be able to pronounce his name. It's very, what I, I had a voice. trust me. I've been practicing Jelko? it all week, but yeah, it's it's actually not that hard to say. It's Jelko. Jelko. Yeah. I will immediately forget that. So anyway, shall we move on from the beginning of this deposition to see but what I, else is going on? I love the characters that are present here, and yes. I love everything that's being set up. Yeah, the deposition is great this episode. Um, Cleo and Malucci are working on Kenesha and Trauma 1. And Benton pops down to check in on a hernia and also is like, oh, hey, I need to clear this one too. And Cleo's like, nope, we got it. It's fine. She's stable. You don't need to come in. It's great. And Abby pops out to say that there's blood in her underwear, which Kenesha says is from her period, at which point Benton pushes in and... I love, I don't know if you guys caught this, but Malucci promptly bounces. He just, yeah. oop, I'm out. Just, and Benton just cur- just curtly says, I'm Dr. Benton. Does the does yeah. the Homer Simpson into the bushes, like, just is, yep. uh, Can you blame him? No. Nope. <laughs> if I survived getting punched in the face by Eric LaSalle, you best believe that I am steering f- immediately clear of him uh, every time I see him after that. 
So while Corday is having a fun day of being grilled by a lawyer, uh, Mark's having his appointment with a with a neurology surgeon. I don't is it is it a neurosurgeon? I think so. This guy never gets a name. Like he's just like neurosurgeon guy, neurologist guy. Like it's it's pretty ill defined what exactly his role is. He's meeting with a brain doctor. So let's hear what what's up with his with all that. The ring enhancing lesion and central necrosis on MRI was uh, suspicious. The biopsy confirms it. Another pathologist should take a look. Could be an astrocytoma. Two neurospecialists have reviewed the slides independently. They concur. It's a GBM. What's the survival rate? Untreated, eight weeks. But with radiation therapy, the average increases six to nine months. So you need to go see a radiation oncologist today. What about surgery? Uh, I'm afraid the tumor is inoperable. Why? It looks like it invaded Broca's area. Uh, the speech arrest that you were experiencing was probably the result of a focal seizure. Even if we remove the entire tumor, you'd most likely be left with the inability to speak and understand language. Communication. More than communication, you'd, you'd lose all ability to comprehend, interact with the world around you, essentially what makes you human. Even if you consented, I wouldn't even consider operating. We'll keep you on Dilantin, uh, 300 milligrams daily. Do you have disability insurance? Dr. Green? Yeah. The intro to that music cue before the piano comes in is so good. Mm -hmm. That whole music in that section is fantastic. Yep. Martin, my, my man. Coupled with uh, Anthony Edwards' physical acting, just... The sheer, the sheer look of abject horror on his face when, when he's he, being told the, sur when, the survival time. When he goes, communication? Right. No, everything. Yeah. He's like, wait, maybe I can, if I can't talk, then maybe I can I can live with that. Nope. It's, it's so much worse than that. It's essentially your soul at that point. I mean, it'll be really curious when we get to season eight. Uh, when we get into like character retrospectives because we <laughs> we have so many of those to do next season but like it's gonna be um it's gonna be really interesting when we get to the anthony edwards one or the the mark green one to sort of parse out the timeline of when it was exactly that he made his intentions known that he was ready to go and wasn't going to be renewing his contract because they're clearly setting up and out here of like mm -hmm. we're gonna yeah. we're gonna kill Mark, but adult. I'm sure they could also leave the door open here, as we'll see later in the season. They could leave the door open that oh, the cancer just went away, and maybe he'll be okay. So like it'll be really interesting to see here of like because the way they're setting it up in these early stages is like we're not just gonna kill this motherfucker, we're going to kill him. Like he's going to be dead in a matter of probably before the season is out is the way that they are setting this up here. So it's like. Is this a situation where he's told them already, like, hey, I'm definitely done when my contract's up, so if you're going to kill me, kill the fuck out of me and do it now? Or is it just like, I, I don't know, I'm just going to be really interested to try to dig through all that and try to find, you know, where where the the cha where the where shift comes in of, of the attitude of, like, no, we might kill him to know we're going to kill the shit out of him because that's what it seems like they're setting up here. Yeah, because even, even if your intention is not to kill him, I think it's a really, I just think it's a really great storytelling, uh, how do you want to say it? Device. Device, yeah. yeah. 
with the dichotomy of being so happy for the pregnancy and Corday and spoiler alert, she wins the, she beats the thing. Right. She beats the deposition or whatever lawsuit. I can never, I, I can't words today. When can I ever words? That's really the question here. And like that. And then, then this. Right. I, yeah, there's a line at the end of the episode that I want to draw attention to when we get there. It's yeah. in that last scene with Mark and Elizabeth that really brings brings it together in a nice way in that regard. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, just... Yeah, it's just... Uh, you know, again, I have to keep reminding myself that we're still a good season and a little mm-hmm. extra away from the end of Mark. So, like... It, but the way they're the way they're presenting it here, it's it's like you're expecting that he's gonna be dead before we get to like mid season sweeps. Like it's it's really bleak in the early stages mm-hmm. of this storyline. Um, it's pretty crazy. Also, focal seizures are so weird. Yeah. So speaking of that, we'll, we'll get to that shortly. Yeah. That's uh, oh that no no what he has what happens later is a generalized seizure focal seizures are like what he's been having with the speech mm, but um got it yeah so focal seizures like when you feel like an aura or when you feel funny or mood swings or any of the other smaller not full body things generalized seizure or when your body goes okay no fuck it we're just gonna party everything everything's gonna light up yeah. we're gonna do it all so mm, well we're just going to party we're just gonna party we, uh, Words of wisdom from our resident epilepsy expert. Uh, no, person with epilepsy. <laughs> person with epilepsy. Who was Between the three of us, she's the expert. That's horrifying. Daniel, what happens next? Uh, Mark heads into work asking Carter why they're backed up. Imagine trying to go into work and have just oh. a normal day after yeah. getting news like that. Like, holy crap. Uh, Randy says that uh, this always happens when uh, Carrie takes the day off. And uh, Carter uh, needs to do a blood and urine test for a three-month sobriety check. So we will check back on that a little bit later. Uh, We see Benton working on Kenesha. Uh, Cleo is checking her and telling her that they need to do a pelvic exam. And uh, she resists because she just wants to get her face fixed. She's got a lot of facial lacerations and might have had her jaw broken. So uh, she's more concerned with that. And I don't think Benton should be in the room at all for this. I, this not is, in the slightest. This is not a good good place for him to be. But that's kind of the recurring theme when it comes to like tangential familial connections and our lovely cast of characters. They, 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 they're... Almost everybody has been in a room they shouldn't have been at some point in the last seven seasons. Like, somebody's old, like, it's Carter's cousin, or, you know, just like there's always some shit going on where it's just like, you shouldn't be in this room. Anyway, uh, let's go to our, let's go to our next fun audio clip. Uh, we're, all the audio clips are just fun, full of joy today. They are just, you know, we're just so- really. We're really feeling good on your Thursday morning or whenever the hell you're listening to this. So lighthearted. Exactly. So let's listen to more of that de- that really awesome deposition. So you concede Mr. Patterson's surgery started at 5.17 p.m. According to the chart, yes. And you sent Mr. Patterson to pre-op at 2.15 p.m.? Approximately, yes. Expecting to operate... Within the hour? Expecting to operate immediately. But you didn't. You didn't start Mr. Patterson's operation for another three hours, did you? No. Why not? I'm on emergency call. A life-threatening gunshot wound to a 14-year-old boy came in. I had to respond. And were you able to save this boy? No. And this Jesse Robbins, uh, 
Did you know her? By association, yes. And that association was through a colleague, Dr. Peter Benton? He was Dr. Benton's nephew. And Dr. Benton is your former lover. Don't answer that. Was the young boy you weren't able to save the nephew of your former lover? Move it along, Bruce. That has no probative value, and she's not answering it. Are you refusing to answer that she's question? She's not answering the question. Fine, she'll answer in front of the judge. So the death of his nephew was upsetting to you? Of course. How long did it upset you? <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, losing a young boy, a boy you knew, a boy close to someone you cared about, must have been quite overwhelming. Is that a question? Was it overwhelming? At that moment? So overwhelming and tragic, in fact, that it was still on your mind while you operated on my client. Wasn't it, Dr. Corday? Ooh, it's gotta be hard to keep your fucking cool in those things. Mm. Like, holy shit. Which her, her lawyer gets to later, and I love it. Also, I love the word probative. Mm, that is a good one. That's a good lawyer That's word. probative information for you right here. All right. <laughs> That's all it took. The headphones are off. Where Lauren is going to be, I will be Lauren. Hey, who's films are those? For the first <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm going to go get some water. Uh, oh, sit down. You can take my bit. I'm going to go get some water. <laughs> that sound you hear, folks, is she actually has just left the room. <laughs> anyway, but can this dude just read me a book? He does. Like, he does have a very, very good voice and cadence. I'm, I'm leaving all of this in, by the way. I'm not. I'm I not editing are. any of it out. I would. I wouldn't. I would be disappointed if you didn't. Uh, he, he does have a very excellent, uh, not only voice but cadence as well. Like very. Uh, it'd be perfect as an audiobook uh, narrator. It's only because I love our listeners so much. Only. But what did you think of his audio clip before I chased you out of the room? Um. I like it. Like I said, I really like the deposition sequence, and it's definitely something that carries this episode. Yes. And just him trying to do the gotcha yeah. question. Oh, he's like, she's not answering it. It's not, it doesn't have any value. You're leading the witness. <laughs> like, shut up. I think that's what's fascinating about this whole sequence to me is then when you realize, yes, it's like you're under, you're under oath, but like, it's only, sorry for Lauren's chair noises. Sorry. It's... But it's only like there's no judge, right? It's only the two lawyers mm-hmm. and one of the clients. Well, both of the clients by the end of the thing. But yeah, that's what's wild to me is that yeah. all this stuff is here and then it's with no judge. I don't know why that. The legal system is weird, and I'm glad I don't study it. That's Jake Terrell Esquire's <laughs> point of uh, realm. We're so proud of him. Yeah, that's it. Boggles my mind. Just even simple shit like this. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, so Abby is handling Carter's blood draw with Mark in the room because, you know, Mark's got a witness to make sure that Carter's not pulling a fast one. And Carter goes, guess I should have had that blood transfusion this morning, huh? Trying to make light of it. And just nobody's having a good time here. <laughs> um, we find out the paramedics have called in. Maggie is hurt outside a clothing store on Oak Street, so Abby has to run and take care of that once she finishes the blood draw. Uh, that would be Gold Coast, right? Oak Street. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. right in the. It's by Rush. No, no, not not Gold Coast. It's right. Uh, it's right at the very north end of the Mag Mile. That's Gold. On Coast. On Michigan Avenue. That's Gold Coast. No, that's River North. 
that's River North, Man, 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 Mich- Michigan I always Avenue. think of them as the same area. Yeah, Gold They're... Coast is a little further up. It's like starts around like around like the division area. Uh, today I learned. Um, but we'll come back to that. That's going to be real great. Uh, cops tell Cleo and Benton that Kanisha isn't talking and is not going to press charges on who attacked her. And Cleo says that they still have to take care of her, even though, you know, even though she doesn't want them to, and even though she's not going to tell them anything. Turns out she broke her face, and Benton is laying blame on her for Jesse's death. Uh, Jesse was, and this is now Kanisha and Benton are talking, having a little heart to heart. And Jesse was working on getting her out of gang life because he thought she was better than that, and. He was in her neighborhood trying to get her to come with him when they had a huge fight. And this is when he got shot. She saw who shot him, and that's what made her finally truly want out of the gang. Okay, like s- South Gold Coast. It's, <laughs> it, gets, it gets really weird in there. Sorry. I really What? That's what, what you, I thought. What are you looking at? It's when I think of Oak Street, I think of just because like when you go go down Oak Street right off the Magnificent Mile, there's a there's a few higher end shops. And here on that street, and here so. I thought that uh, Lizzie was gearing up to actually follow up on what Lauren was just talking about, but instead we were going back to to relitigate the Chicago geography discussion. I don't know what I expected. Because I've never actually thought about it. <laughs> I just always considered it part of the Magnificent Mile. But. So, do you have any thoughts on what I just read? I don't even know what you just read. <laughs> so, so engrossed. If that's not our pod, if that's not our podcast in a nutshell, ah, so, uh, three white people waiting for their turn to talk. Jesus Christ! Hey, um, I'm normally paying attention-ish. So, Kanisha told Benton she saw who shot Jesse, and that Jesse was trying to get her out of her gang. Uh, what can I say? Uh, hate the storyline. Don't care about it whatsoever. What is it about the storyline that you hate? I just... uh, Kanisha is such a shitty person. And... See, and there there must be follow-up to that in in later episodes, because in this episode, I I found myself sympathizing with her quite a bit. No, okay, so here I can sympathize with her. It's when she moves in with... It's when she, quote-unquote, moves in with Benton and Cleo. Mm. That's when she becomes... A hellion, the does, hellspawn oh my person. God. Does it kind of remi- ruins everything? Does it kind of remind you of Chris, Kirsten Dunst's character earlier? I can't Charlie. remember her name earlier. Charlie. No, worse. Well, but I'm saying that same vein of the doctors are trying to help. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Except- I, I, there's. I could see some some mild similarities there. To me, the the whole storyline does sort of feel a little reverse engineered. Like it sort of feels like they they wanted to tell a story about. The, the consequences of gang life and then sort of reversed engineered it into a Benton storyline. Like, like they, they murdered his dispensable nephew to tell this story, this other story that they wanted to tell because they yeah. don't really have any other like notable black characters that they could apply this to right now. Like, you know and what I mean? Like that's, ended- that's sort of feels like what happened here. And if you would have ended it with this episode, yeah, I could sympathize with her. I could. Yeah. But they don't. Then it you gets know what, worse. You know what we could have done? This is going to be crazy. She could have been a clinic patient, and she could have worked with Lynette. Hey. Yeah. I guess they're they're all booked up in Just, the Shadow Realm. 
Just saying. There was a way to do this. Yeah. Is it my turn now? Yes. <laughs> I'm just making sure. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> that uh, hamburger helper went to your head. Chaos energy. What? 24-7 around here. Uh, but yeah, we go back over to Maggie, who's resisting help from the paramedics. And Abby shows up. And Maggie has been accused of stealing a quite expensive scarf. And something is clearly up because Maggie is a... Uh, how, how would you put this? Erratic. Erratic. Okay. That's a, that's a good way to describe it. Maggie is very erratic. And she because she apparently went into the store demanding a job. And then when she was, you know, you don't really give a job to someone who runs in screaming at you. You know, generally not, not good form. It's you haven't how, been an accountant. It's not how you pound the pavement, as the boomer. <laughs> I was going to say, this is the most aggressive baby boomer job tactic I have, e- job seeking tactic I have ever seen. I'm going to walk through a plate glass window and give that manager a firm handshake. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, she, after she was rebuffed, she tried to steal something and then ran through the plate glass window on her way out. Oh, God. Classic. Mm. They do a good job bloodying her up, too. Like, she's mm-hmm. she's real fucked up after going through that window. Also, um, they do such a good job of Abby explaining to the cop mm. and, like, the paramedics, like, what's going on with Maggie and how it's, like, she's, like, she's sick. Right. It won't happen again. She didn't know what she was doing, all that kind of stuff. Right. Like, so that, and I guess that begs my, my other question of, um, did she have an actual interview somewhere else that did not go the way she wanted? And so she went here to try to make up for what she fucked up elsewhere? Or did she never have an interview to begin with and just thought that she could waltz into this place and be handed an interview or handed a job? I would bet the former. Oh, see, I was going with the latter. Oh, wait. Wait, what, was so the like, so the first one would be that she did interview. have an interview oh, okay. some, no, at some other store, like some no, other. She did not. She, there, no shot that she had an interview. So she just made the I whole think, thing up. Yeah. I think she was a little delusional and she was manic and she thought that if she went in, they would just give it to you her. No, best foot forward, and was conf. What she read is confident. What everybody else would read is yelling at people that she would be able to persuade them because she's such a good saleswoman into giving a job. Can you tell I've seen this happen before? And um, I, I did have your words from either last episode or two episodes ago. I can't remember which, but like echoing of like what you had described having seen before of like the grandiose promises and like everything's mm-hmm. going to be great. Like er- especially earlier in the episode when she's like, after I get this job, I'm going to buy us all yeah. new furniture. And I was mm-hmm. just like, that is such a like mm-hmm. realistic depiction mm-hmm. of what this would be like and, yep yep this was I, I you know my dad never ran through a plate glass window but this general ebb and flow right. of i've got a job interview everything is going to be fine let me get your hopes up no job yeah mm. <laughs> shit's fine no shot no shot so yeah i do not think she had an interview at all i think she thought in her mind this equated to an interview right and then no. yeah when it didn't go the way she expected or the way her mania led her to believe it would. She flipped. Um, she flipped. <sighs> yeah. 
Oh, this next part. I was, okay. was going to yeah. say, uh, in this uh, darkest of timelines that we find ourselves in, this is actually the preferable thing to talk about is, is uh, Sally Field walking through a plate glass window. That's the fun thing we get to talk about. It's such a fun episode. We're lighthearted. We're all feeling great. Should I tonight. just take my headphones off for this next part? Do I have? I to mean, we're not gonna get we're not gonna get graphic or anything. It's just you yeah, know. So, know. so Mark and Carter are having a talk in the trauma room, and uh, Mark is scolding Carter for not taking his now Trexone reliably because uh, I guess they did his blood work and it came back that he. Uh, didn't have the right levels of the drug in his system and he is making up excuses of like oh I, you know my prescription ran out and i haven't been able to refill it and yada yada and carter's basically just like going full defiant and full like waxing poetic about like why it's so difficult to have everybody looking at you as the addict when you've been caught using drugs at work um like he's just like <laughs> he's just like really yeah. feeling sorry for himself and he, he's actually like sits up on the counter and has his eyes closed at one point as he's like detailing what a how put upon he is. And it's at that point that we as the audience get to see Mark in what I'm sure Lauren would describe as the beginnings of an aura. Uh, and then. Yeah, the way the camera fades out in and out like that, that's just. Uh... Yeah. I'm so glad I wasn't looking because I'm sure it was spot on. I would say that this is far and away. Not it, you could you know Lizzie gives the whole the the whole thing kind of a seven out of ten, uh kind of the whole depiction of this seizure. But I would say so on an accuracy level, it it might have some places where it could be improved upon. But I think on a like just uh, presentation level, I think it's definitely the most graphic depiction of a seizure that we've ever gotten. We've had patients seizing before, but we've never really been put in this position where you're forced to look at it and not allowed to look away. Yeah, this was, I did not watch it. I thank you, Daniel, for warning me. It was this episode. I watched it kind of through our glass reflection of our windows. And the one thing that I did catch was, um, they did properly have his head lolling mm. and doing like the gasping for breath noise. Mm-hmm. Am I right with yep, that? that? I've heard that noise before. I'm sorry. So yeah, Lauren makes that noise apparently. He also hits the fuck out of his head on the uh, mm. countertop as he's as he's going down, like absolute. That's one of my wax the shit out of himself. That's one of my biggest fears is that I'm not gonna get down fast enough if I feel one coming on, and that I'm gonna slam my head. Yeah. So yeah, it's a uh, not great, Bob. It's a uh, not fun time for anyone involved. Uh, it's not fun to watch. When we were talking about that last episode, and, I, and we were like, "Oh, I thought it was this other thing," like. And but we were all like, nah, that's later. Like that's much later. <laughs> and then you texted us and you were like, guys, it's this one. Yeah, I was doing the <laughs> I was doing the the little like um, response thread post, and I so I searched for you know ER episode the dance we do, and the first picture that comes up is all of them surrounding Mark on the gurney after he had the seizure, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> like I'm gonna have to tell Lauren that. Not only is that coming up, but it's coming up next week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, ugh. You, you looked out for me, and it was appreciated. Yeah. So, I mean, it was – and as somebody who does not have epilepsy and doesn't have anyone in his immediate family who has epilepsy, that was a tough watch for me. So I can only imagine how it was for somebody who uh, does deal with that or does have close family experience with that. Like, watching that for the first time when you watched the show way back when must have been really – really rough 
I'm going to hell, and Daniel, you can choose to leave the sin or take it out, but I just had the worst meme idea ever. Oh, no. <laughs> just superimpose my face on Mark's nope, when he's on the nope, floor. Nope, we won't oh, be doing that. That's not We happening. won't be doing that. That's, uh, I'm gonna... That's incredibly offensive, but just... You sick are coming at me. Oh! Jesus Christ! Okay, all right. So... Uh, one one thing though that I do want to point out with this and, and shout out to our buddy Aaron who always mm-hmm. always comes in with the the clutch points uh, that I'm all too happy to steal. Um, we always make a big deal, and actually it might it might not have been Aaron in this case. I mean I think he mentions it in his response, but I think somebody else called it out too. But we always make a big deal out of uh, the Carter and Benton stuff and how mm-hmm. like those those really emotional moments and, and stuff but there's also these really good mark and carter moments and yes. one of the thing one of the those little tiny moments just like you know the is he conscious thing and um you know just the, the those little language differences that let you know somebody has a, a higher level of respect and a higher level of care for another person um the fact that when uh green goes down with the seizure Carter doesn't call him green. He calls him Mark. And that's one of the few times I think we've heard, certainly recent history, but probably ever that we've ever heard mm-hmm. Carter call green just by his first name. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those little tiny, tiny little dialogue things that I think is worth mentioning. But um, yes, but we, we see Carter helping Mark when he comes, comes around and <laughs> fuck Lauren. <laughs> Are. Whose films are those? Uh, <laughs> do 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 And I'm as I'm reading through these bullet points, I'm realizing that this is one I should have left for Lauren because uh, Lauren, yeah. you have a particular insight into this. Oh, sorry. So there's when Carter is explaining to him what happened, and it's like, "Hey, you had a seizure." Blah blah blah. The tone of voice he used is perfect Mm -hmm. it is exactly how i have been spoken to by emts and by lizzie when i have been coming out of a seizure and somebody needs to gently tell me what the fuck just happened because my brain is like i'm like i don't know i just blacked out for two minutes i have no idea where i am i barely know who the president is who are you like just that very calm reassuring voice Mm -hmm. it's it was incredibly spot on yeah just very well done i am gonna if I ever see you have another one, I am going to make you... I know, and I get so mad every time anybody asks me... Yeah, what's the date? Who's the president? They're and... so hard to answer. Exactly. So... so I have never found it more difficult to answer those questions than when I've come out of a seizure. And it's it has just... never been more important to assess that you might have potentially have damage. Oh, I hate it. I get so mad because I'm like, I don't want to answer this. I just want to go nap. <laughs> Well, that's which I have, that's not that's not up. really indicative of you being postictal either. That's just that's just how you always are. Maybe, maybe this is why, but I do have further comments on that um, in a couple scenes here. But did she have a seizure? Well, she says she wants to take a nap. That doesn't help. Oh, that's just fucking that does boring. that doesn't help me. I I need more information. <laughs> Um, uh, so I I know you uh, criticize this a little bit later, but it also seems to me that he's awfully spry after that like mm-hmm. the fog clears remarkably quickly mm-hmm. where he just jumps up i mean i granted he's keeping this whole thing a secret so like you know he's maybe I, there's some adrenaline I, involved I, there i don't know but yeah, like, i was gonna say there's some there's definitely some panic and adrenaline going but on there i'm gonna defer to lizzie on this 
would you ever imagine me being able to move like that within 30 minutes of having a seizure? Depending on the situation, I possibly. Because I can't. Yeah. My, <laughs> my dude is up, off the gurney, like taking the gown off and removing leads and stuff. Like he's like, and he's back out in the hallway with his chart, which he's ripping up and throwing away as he's walking down the hall. Uh, which is probably going to be a fucking nightmare for uh, the nurses <laughs> later when they go to do their charting. And they're like, what happened to Dr. Green's chart? I don't know. He ripped, he took it with him. And then they find it in pieces in the trash can. I'm like, Ugh. so we'll get back to this a little bit later. Y'all. All right. Uh, let's go for more super happy fun deposition time. Yay. Mr. Patterson's condition needed immediate surgical attention, did it not? It depends on what you mean by immediate. You had to operate that day. Within the next 24 hours. And the endoscopic surgery is certainly the fastest procedure, correct? Among other benefits. So it was more convenient for you. I base my surgical opinions on what I perceive to be in the best interests of the patient. The recovery, how in Let me try again. Perhaps you didn't hear the question. The endoscopic surgery was faster and therefore easier on your schedule than the alternate open procedure. Of course, but that's... Thank you. How long does the endoscopic procedure take? My schedule had nothing whatsoever to do with my advice to Mr. Patterson. Please strike that as non-responsive, Dr. Corday. How long does the endoscopic procedure take to perform? About an hour. But you performed Mr. Patterson's endoscopic disectomy in 42 minutes, correct? I don't know. I'd have to check the operative report. Well, if the operative report stated that you were in the OR with Mr. Patterson less than 43 minutes, would you say that's correct? It could be. Do you have any reason to doubt the veracity of the operative report? No. Would it surprise you that of the 87 endoscopic disectomies you performed before November 16th, your fastest time was 54 minutes, 12 minutes slower than Mr. Patterson? Objection. You're testifying, Bruce. It's a question, Gordon. Well, she can count. Would that surprise you, Dr. Corday? Let's move on. Did you know that the fastest you had ever performed this procedure was 12 minutes slower than Mr. Patterson's surgery? I do now. You don't time yourself. It's not a race. Then why did the circulating nurse remind you it was 10 to 6? Objection assumes facts, not in evidence. Do you recall the circulating nurse reminding you that it was 10 to 6 while you were operating on Mr. Patterson? Yes. Why did you need to be reminded? To keep me on schedule. And what did you have scheduled after Mr. Patterson's surgery? I had an engagement. Someplace more important that you had to be? No, and I resent the inference. What inference is that? That I rushed Mr. Patterson's surgery in order to satisfy a personal obligation. Okay, that's it. We're taking a Did break. Did you? Did you rush? Don't answer that. Did the nurse remind you it was Come 10 on. to 6 because you needed to leave by 6? Yes. We're taking a break. Did you get that? No, we're off the record. Stop typing. I said we're taking a break. Let's go. Totally having a normal one. Yeah, this is fine. <laughs> I love when he's like, are you testifying, Bruce? Weird, weird linguistic nitpick there. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I feel like in the past we have heard Lizzie uh, pronounce the word schedule as schedule. Mm -hmm. Have it, is it because they have toned down the like poshiness of her character that she doesn't pronounce it that way? Or is it because she's stressed out in this moment that she <laughs> says it? in the more American pronunciation. Like, I just thought... Of, She's stressed out, so she becomes more American. <laughs> she reverts to her more American uh, sensibilities. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. We're ruining her. America is ruining this one. Woman. One mispronounced word at a time. Mm -hmm. Ugh. 
I, again, I just it, the ability to stay composed during one of those things must be a fucking superpower because like, I mean, I get that's his job is to like needle you and like make you as make you slip up and make you say something that you you know either don't want to say or don't mean to say uh but like holy shit like it's even just listening like i'm not the one on the receiving end of that deposition but it's hard it feels like it would be hard for me to keep my composure under those circumstances and and you can tell she's at first she's trying so hard to stick to the i guess Mm -hmm. okay kind of answers but by the end of it, she's so riled up that she is full-blown, full-sentence, trying to defend herself, making things worse, digging it deeper. It's exactly how I would be. I'd fold like a <laughs> fucking wet, like a wet napkin. Uh, and I guess we didn't really talk about this in the episode when it started, but like, um, how do we feel about that whole situation? Like, do we feel like there is sort of an element of she was distracted and she was had her her mind was elsewhere or was it just this was a bad outcome and it would have happened under any circumstance it could have happened under any circumstances and the fact that she had another engagement that night has no bearing on his bad outcome i think because she injected the saline right as right before mr carrie weaver i'm using his christian yes of course he right before he said that oh there's some fluid like she flushed the area with saline, so it was perfectly reasonable for her to assume, and the area was dry, and to not stare at it for three minutes to like make sure that it didn't start pooling right. again. Yeah. The other thing too is it's like there's there's phases of this. One, did she recommend it because it was faster or because she thought it was a better outcome? I think Elizabeth genuinely thought it was both faster and better for mm-hmm. him. And also the thing I find strange here is you can you can go with a herniated disc for a while as long as you're not moving and making it worse. So realistically, he should not have had to be wheeled into surgery that day. He could have been admitted to medicine and another surgeon could have had him on the schedule for the longer procedure if that was, was what was deemed necessary. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing is if she was on call and couldn't complete the procedure within the amount of time anyway it should have gone on the surgical rotation for somebody else to do it that's the first mistake i'm taking a love's labor lost (laughs) approach to this here second mistake is um surely shouldn't have reminded her shouldn't have said it's 10 to 6 like that had no place of being in there that assuming they were driving to wherever they were going the car would wait five minutes for her to finish up like no Mm -hmm. (laughs) Third thing, that fluid, I agree with Lizzie, like she had just injected the irrigation solution. So it could have just been an easy miss. That one spot could have been an honest mistake. She'd been distracted by Shirley reminding her it was time to go. She could have taken a glance and thought it was good enough. And also, too, I think I think another but, point, you know, uh, in her favor is that she did first present him with the, you know, I guess more comprehensive or more invasive procedure like the full-blown like we're gonna do this we're gonna do this for real kind of procedure uh and he was like no i don't want back surgery and so like at that point he did sort of limit her options to which i get that that's not really what he's suing for he's not suing that she went with this procedure he's suing that she fucked him up during this procedure (laughs) like so it's a it's a little bit you know parsing words but 
it's I don't know. I just we just hadn't really like talked about kind of what her uh, culpability mm-hmm. we feel like is in this situation because it isn't presented as a, a black and white distinction. Like it's not it's right. not presented as like oh she's de- she was definitely in the right and this lawyer is wrong. Like it's kind of a gray area. But it was a comedy of errors. Yeah. Yep. As as was that whole it could episode. Easily go either like, way. Every everything in that episode is a comedy of errors. Like it's. It's not great. Uh, I mean, it's a great episode. Let's get back into fun things like Maggie. Yeah, Abby brings Yay! brings Maggie into the ER, and Lucas sees them as he's coming in and uh, asks what happened and also asks Cleo if Mark had a seizure. So clearly the word is spreading around the ER about uh, Mark's predicament. Uh, we cut over and see Maggie ranting about the job and the shop and the maybe fake interview, like just – all of that stuff. How she, how she would be a great saleswoman and way better than the person that was there and customer service and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And, and uh, Maggie is talking to herself while Abby sits in trauma one and Luca watches through the window. And boy, howdy, is this bleak. Mm-hmm. Hey. Uh, and then some detectives come in to talk to Kanisha as she's coming out of CT, uh, but she does not want to talk to them. <sighs> Do I have to play this next audio clip? I mean, you can and just take it's your a, headphones off. You yeah, I mean, it's not a fun scene to talk about, but it is a really good scene. Yeah, so the, Mark and Carter are out in the ambulance bay. Looks like you're feeling better. Yeah. I got my prescription refilled. You want to see me take it? No. Thanks for helping me out. Sure. You want to tell me what happened? Not particularly. You know... I did treat you. Technically, I am your doctor. Anything you tell me is confidential. Okay, doctor. It's quite simple. I have a brain tumor. What? Glioblastoma multiforma. Bummer, huh? Gets better. I found out that it's inoperable. Oh, Mark. Sorry. Yeah. Well, you're up. What are you going to do? Die, I guess. After today, I probably won't be able to work anymore. Did you get a second opinion? They double-checked the biopsy. Oh, by another neurosurgeon. I mean, there's got to be a clinical trial going on someplace, right? Yeah, looking into it. Oh. Looks like they need you. Are you gonna be okay? Stupid question, Carter. Do me a favor. Try and keep the rumors from spreading around here before I get a chance to talk to Elizabeth. Sure. Turns out Mark Green is a depressed millennial. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah, Die, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the way he delivers that line is one of my favorite things in the entire show. Like, I, this seems so sad and seeing carter's reaction to it just like what the fuck man yeah and the shot they do with that when he does tell carter is so good Mm. just the way it like spirals in on his face also are you gonna be okay stupid question (laughs) carter (laughs) i sort of sort of makes me wish that they had like done a little more of that with mark like had him have a little bit more fun with his uh you know impending demise Daniel. What? 
Can the meme? Oh God. <laughs> can a meme for this episode please be? Well, it's, it's Mark Green's face on that on that guy with and the older guy with the red sweatshirt Guess going. Yes, I'll die. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely not going to be what Lauren suggested. So <laughs> I know that one. I'm going to hell for that one. Uh, also, I want to note here, talking about Mark being up and around. You could not pay me to be up and around as fast as Mark has been this episode, let alone shooting hoops outside. I need a cocoon and a Ken Burns documentary, ice water and Tylenol. I think denial's a hell of a drug. That's yeah. very fair. But I'm just saying, like, from how fatiguing and how much those seizures can wring your body of energy mm-hmm. and like the soreness, you feel like you've done five days of exercise in three minutes. Let's let's talk about the basketball hoop for a minute because that is a thing that we haven't really seen as much lately. Uh like the last season or two. Um, and we sort of talked about this when, uh, when Clooney left of like the, one of the, the few things that we felt like, cause just Doug's story was pretty well told and, and like pretty well wrapped up. And like, there's not that much more. I feel like you could have done with him. Um, even though I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of like old grizzled veteran Doug and like who had been around the block a few times and wasn't afraid like I would have liked to have seen that version of the character, but um, the the biggest thing that we all latched onto at the time was like he does feel like and I'm not talking about the fucking funeral here. Uh, he does feel like a missing link in this story. Like he does feel like a missing ingredient in this story. And this scene right here with with Carter and Green reminds me so much of another scene that we will get in season eight in Orion in the Sky one of my favorite episodes and one that I think doesn't get nearly enough shine in that trilogy. And I sort of feel like the basketball hoop in both of those two episodes, both this one and Orion in the sky, I feel like is a little bit of our symbolic connection to Doug in this story mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like, we can't have him here physically, but we're going to use this thing that is so heavily associated with his character because they really stop going to the basketball hoop as a like, storytelling device by and large after Doug is gone like they do it a few times because it feels so prevalent like it feels like such a series identity thing and you're right like it's a sprinkle even in the early seasons it's not that often it's really and it's like I said it's really disappeared ever since he left and so I feel like if anything this is our little bit of a symbolic nod to that friendship and that like it, it, it you can almost see like uh, Mark having this thing of like not knowing what to do, not knowing how to process all this stuff and thinking back to all those times he could go out to the ambulance bay and either he was going through it or Doug was going through it or one, and they would just have it out over the basketball court. And I, I, I feel I like have... that, that is our little, little Clooney nugget, little Doug nugget here that like it, we're just, we can't have him here as a, as a physical presence, but we can at least sprinkle this little bit of reminder of like, that was a solid friendship that, would be carrying him through this tumultuous time in his life. A dugget, if you will. And also, I would not have made that connection, so thank you. Uh, Lizzie and her lawyer are talking in the lobby and eating uh, Chicago salads, <laughs> a.k.a. Chicago dogs. Okay, that, those, one's, that one's for Jake. Those people are not eating those hot dogs. They are just, like, having them, like, in their, like... The guy does take a bite of it. But, like... Yeah. That's like the. I feel like that's like one of like the worst foods you could have. Right. Have like a I mean, I'm nice sure. Suit on. I'm sure there was like a cart outside or something that that's why they got it. But I was just like, yeah. why would you do that? Why would it's you really, choose that item? 
if you're like standing at a counter and you can like tuck your tie in, sure, go for it and like hunch over it a right. little bit. But sure. They're, on, the they're in like yeah. lobby furniture, like uncomfortable, like he's got like a napkin tucked into his collar. Like it's yeah. just a and also too, like as Chicago dogs go, those were very tame. Like those were very like You just pi- saw the big pickle on them. Yeah, like pretty much big pickle and like a little slice of tomato sticking out of the one side. But like I've seen fucking Chicago dogs where it's like um, fuck this you've, up with stuff you've, you've, you've been to byron's yeah, you've been to byron's. <laughs> yeah. like the, the, these seemed very tame by chicago dog standards those are the riverwalk chicago dogs for for those for the tourists park. yes um but i love that her lawyer says like dude you gotta stop you gotta stop talking answer yes or no when possible don't elaborate the more you tell them the more they have to use against you shut up shut up <laughs> Uh, I will preface this next clip oh. here uh, after I think after like 30 seconds between 30 seconds and a minute but like after that uh, Maggie kind of flies off the handle a little bit and starts screaming a lot so maybe turn down your <laughs> it's turn, so funny turn down the volume. it's so funny what upsets certain people because I was like oh yeah we're doing a content warning because the first 30 seconds of this clip will make you want to leave your body uh, but no because it's so fucking uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> but it's no, it's actually the content warning is screaming. The content warning is for the after the 30 seconds when she actually tries to leave her body, but to try yeah. and turn the volume down. Yeah. yeah. So just uh, this just whole clip. Yeah. Just don't blow your eardrums out what, or your speakers, whatever. But yeah, uh, Luca's doing stitches on Maggie. Sorry. That's the start of the clip. How many do you think stitches? Four, five, five. You're so good at this. You're so gentle. Thank you. It's hard to believe because you have such great big masculine hands. <laughs> oh, oh. Sit still. Don't move. Don't move. Don't move. Eyelash. See? Okay, now you have to make a wish and blow. That's all right. Okay. I'll blow for you. What did you wish for? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'm sorry. You're sorry for what? It's a uh, part of the disease. Oh. <laughs> oh, yes, we're going to now apologize for your diseased mother, are we? Are we? <laughs> She's always misbehaving. You know, Abby never wanted me around her friends. She was always ashamed. Stop it, Mom. Ashamed and embarrassed. You think no, I don't know that? Sit I know that. You would walk right by me and right? pretend you didn't know me. You'd, you'd pretend I didn't even exist. You'd pretend I didn't, I didn't Shut exist. You didn't up. know. Don't you sass me. I'm your mother. Not by choice. Ah! Ah! Okay. Ah! okay. 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 Ah! All right. Ah! Okay. Do you want a five of Haldol? No! Abby, Abby, I'm sorry. Do you Abby, want five I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. I don't want Haldol. Sit still and behave. No. We won't need no. to give you anything. Right. You oh, let me go. Wait. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving.
just think about how shot poor Sally Field's voice must have been after shooting this episode. Oh my god. Yeah, this is for my money. This is the best Maggie scene. It's pretty pretty darn good. Uh, I mean, you know, relatively speaking, <laughs> you know? like in terms of like in terms of holy a performance. Shit, yeah, that's that's Sally Field acting her ass off. Uh huh. And, and just the way that it, it the, the the tone of voice changes and the face changes mm-hmm. and everything when she it's I'm trying to think of the the thing I'm there's a specific scene I'm I'm thinking of from a movie but I can't like put the words to my mouth yet but like I was gonna say Lord of the Rings but <laughs> some go- Gollum shit yeah. but the way that like her her whole personality changes when she calls Abby a bitch like and it was just mm-hmm. like oh like that's it's legitimately terrifying yeah. Ooh. Also, I can we just get a shout out for Carter when he's like Maggie, like he's trying so hard to be <laughs> gentle with her. Yeah, they all. They, I mean, they all are. They all just, are until they aren't. But him especially, just how he how he tries to <laughs> communicate with her while they're restraining her. And something about Luca picking her up and carrying her across the ER like a child is so funny to me because of the fact that you know Luca and Abby do end up being a parent. Like it's just like. You, ca- you carried your mother-in-law across the ER like a child. Like, it's just such a weird thing that is this now part of his life. And it's, just, I don't she know. She was going through some shit. She was going through yeah. some shit. Yeah. Uh, goddamn Sally. Field. I never had to see my dad do anything like this. Well, good. He never did anything like this in public. So we'll just say, good good on you, Bruce. Thanks. Good on you, Bruce. Uh, speaking of Bruce, we got to go back to the deposition. There you go. <laughs> it's a great transition, Lauren. You're a real pro. Uh, segue, segue, segue. Uh, so, yeah, they're going back in. Lizzie just wants to get this over with, and she's stopped dead in her tracks because they brought in Al for the final portion in his wheelchair. Uh, and the lawyer, her lawyer, stops her on the way in and is like, don't worry about it. They brought him in here just to rattle you. Just pretend he's not there, and we'll get through this. So. We'll see if that holds true. Um, but we then go back to the ER where Abby's watching uh, Kim in with her mom. And uh, Kim and Carter come out to talk with her. And turns out that Maggie isn't meeting the criteria for an involuntary hold, but she can be admitted voluntarily. And uh, her blood alcohol level is uh, at 0.092. So a little bit tipsy is maggie and, and i love how i don't remember if it's abby or if it's kim but they go that'll do it yeah yeah i believe i believe that was uh, abby who said that but uh um and then I, she says too that that maggie wants her to go in and apologize she wants to go in so that she can apologize to her and abby's just like no thanks not interested and goes to walk away and then maggie comes out and is like doing the like bargaining thing of like I'll get better like I'll take my med like I'll do all this stuff and Abby walking away to the sound of her mother crying saying I'll get better is just very haunting that I have done yikes Uh, well Benton's discharging Kenesha uh, tells her to get some frozen peas to ice her face for 20 minutes a few times a day and also get some ibuprofen and she flips him off in the cab because she's a charming young woman um, and then we have a new patient brought in and as she's being wheeled in, she's not that important. So I'm not like, I thought she might be somebody, but she's not. But as she's wheeled in, uh, Benton gets a chance to talk to Cleo and he says, you're the only thing in my life that makes sense right now. And she goes, well, I might accept that apology if you take me to dinner. 
So, cool. Cool. Yeah, apologies for our upstairs neighbors. Uh, let's go one final time to deposition land. Well then, in your medical opinion, what caused the meningocele that cut off the blood supply to Mr. Patterson's spinal cord? A leak of CSF, cerebrospinal fluid from the dura, which covers the spinal canal. Which means you must have punctured the dura during the procedure. That seems evident now, yes. It wasn't evident during the procedure? No. It was apparently evident to the anesthesiologist. Objection. Argumentative. According to the operative report, Dr. Babcock, the anesthesiologist, drew your attention to spinal fluid in the surgical field at 10 to 6, correct? No. The note says 10 to 6, doesn't it? Yes. So the report is wrong? No. He did draw my attention to fluid. Fluid we now know to be spinal fluid. No. What could it have been, doctor? Saline. But you understood that the anesthesiologist was concerned it might be spinal fluid. Yes. All right. How did you satisfy yourself that it wasn't? I suctioned the irrigation saline and did not see any persistent CSF. Did you look? I can't operate without looking. Well, given that it was 10 to 6, that you were in a hurry, the nurse simultaneously reminding you of your date. Objection. Can we get to a question, Bruce? Did you perform a complete and competent inspection of the field to ensure there were no CSF leaks? Sometimes leaks are so small, you cannot detect them visually. Nevertheless, did you perform a thorough inspection? That's procedure. And you followed procedure by performing a thorough inspection? Objection. Asked and answered. It's been asked. It has not been answered. What was the question? Did you perform a thorough and competent inspection, specifically looking for possible CSF leaks before you closed? Yes. So I just love this whole sequence. I can't, I can't yeah. pick out one thing for this yeah. whole deposition. It's just everybody does such a good job. Yeah, I'll be perfectly honest. I could have had uh, this be the entire episode. Like, yep. I, I yeah, just have same. been a bottle episode yep. of this. I, I totally. I mean, not that there's not other things in this episode that are worth addressing, um, but just like they could have done an entirely separate episode that was just this, mm -hmm. and I would have been just as happy with it. Yeah, it's so strong. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love. Don't know, I don't know what else to say about it. I love the. Just, that's awesome. I love the line. I can't operate without looking. <laughs> Ha ha! Got you there. Oh, and I'm. I just gotta say, I'm so glad I didn't watch this episode right before I had my surgery. Ugh. Like I would not have done it. I would have been like, no, they're good. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't watch it before I had my my neck done either. So good job, us. Different procedure, but still. Um, are we good from there? Yay, deposition land. Yeah. Yay, deposition land. Okay. Best part of this episode, in my humble opinion. Uh, but then we go to Carter and Abby are out in the ambulance bay at night. Um. Maggie has just taken off before she could be admitted. And Abby's like, that's fine. She's not going to be at my apartment. She's not going to be anywhere. This is the end of the cycle. She disappears. It's just the dance we do. Hey, episode hey, title. She says the name of the and, episode. Uh, she wins the episode. And as they're talking, Luca shows up and asks Abby if she's ready to go and kind of gives Carter a little look. And then he and Abby walk off together into the into the proverbial sunset. Um, I like I like how the uh, the titular line can apply to again it's you know 
writing it, when you do an art like <laughs> it <laughs> it applies to like everything in this episode like it it applies to the Maggie and Abby dynamic it applies to the Lizzie and the lawyers dynamic mm-hmm. you know because that's sort of a dance but mm-hmm. it also applies granted with a little bit of the benefit of the hindsight uh it also applies to Mark's situation as mm-hmm. well where the, because I forget the I was kind of hoping there was a clip so that I could get the exact wording but like the the wording of it is essentially like it's the dance we do the stuff changes in between but it always ends the same is the way that that she says it it's something to those words to that effect and that's essentially Mark's thing here is that there's going to be lots of twists and turns over the next season and a half and it's going to be uh like uh we're going to get moments of hope and he's going to be okay and he's going to be but the story always ends the same way mm-hmm. like he's all he's always going to die and he was always going to die and it's again it leads cre- lends credence i think to the fact that like even though we're way ahead in the timeline for him leaving i think we're pretty clear on the fact that he's officially leaving and this is the way they're going to kill him and like that choice has already been made and so they're setting all those events in motion now like i think i don't think that this is like a soft a, a soft route that they're going with of like we could kill him this way if we wanted to but we can also get out of it i think that there's a firm decision that's already been made where it's like no nah, he's gonna fucking die and this is how he's gonna die mm-hmm. so very, very interesting point um but then we go over to Benton and Cleo are at Jackie's and Cleo doesn't want to come in and intrude because, you know, Jackie's clearly still upset about everything that's been going on. And as Benton gets out of the car to go inside, Kanisha shows up mm-hmm. and they're like, what the fuck are you doing here? Has Jackie seen you? You can't be here. What the fuck? And it turns out the cops have shown up in her neighborhood and she's afraid for her life now because the gang is going to think she snitched. And they're like, okay, get in the car. We'll figure it out. Beginning Lizzie's official favorite awesome great storyline. Yeah, Yay. I must have like I must have had like years of therapy to block this out because I don't really. I mean, I remembered his girlfriend showing up at some point, and there be like I kind of I guess I remembered this part of it, but I did not. I don't remember how it all goes. So reserve judgment until then, I guess. Well, let's uh, hit our eighth and final clip for the episode. <sighs> Again, do I have to? do this one pull a lore and take your headphones off no no it's fine there's a few lulls in here so just stick with us until you hear our awkward voices come back and talk about shit um but mark is sitting out on the deck when corday comes home mark i'm up here what are you doing just thinking how'd it go Terribly. What happened? What? What is it? I lied. I lied. The fact is, I rushed. I rushed through and didn't inspect the entire surgical field. That man will never walk again because I wanted to get out early for the weekend. And I, I couldn't even claim responsibility. 
I sat there and I, I swore to God and I lied to save myself. God owes us one. I think you're allowed to be selfish for a while. I didn't run into a street sign. I had a biopsy. Uh, headaches or from hockey. Honestly, the, that music goes on for another like minute or so, and I thought it might be a bit excessive if I got all of it. But, but it's so good. But yeah. bravo, Martin Davich. Yeah. Yes. Bravo. Slow claps. Because they, they do the... Yes, little Dumbledore claps. They do the, the uh, Love's Labor Lost thing again. They don't let you actually mm -hmm. hear the words. They just let you see the reaction. And and it's, uh, it's very sad, but also very well done. And uh, mm -hmm. I just beg the question that I always beg when they do stuff like this: of like, why didn't this close the episode? Like, why did we need to yeah. tack on another scene at the after this? Like, this feels uh, superfluous. I would have made this the the closing scene, but that's yeah. just me. But goddamn, Anthony Edwards. The line, you know, we can be selfish for a while. Yeah. God owes us one. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, gonna, I'm not ready. I was gonna say it's gonna be a rough next uh, not ready. next season or so. Um, I I want to point out completely changing the tone here for a minute. We noted that this their house this uh, deck is on Roosevelt Street by Michigan Avenue, which is nowhere near the suburb looking area that they were driving through to buy the house. That's uh, like, that is an excellent point, Lauren. And the only thing that I am sad about is the fact that he's not going to die in Chicago, so that you can, uh, you know, cut through the tension of that moment by going, um, actually, they're in I, suburban okay. Honolulu. And someone, someone who is from Hawaii and listening <laughs> to our dumbass, please. dumbasses rant about all this shit. Please, please point out. Please point out Hawaii. some geography. Uh, fucking nuance so that we can Pedantry. yeah so that we can cut through the tension this, of that fucking horrible moment this episode has been heavy enough i have no <laughs> shame that i did that i apologize to our listeners no 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 keep I, talking heavy shit but i needed to pull out of that i mean so oh yeah I, that, well, that brings up a good point though of like the next season or so of like and who knows every every rewatch of a certain episode every time you watch a certain scene it, it elicits different emotions who knows how we're going to react but i can pretty much tell you from a certain standpoint of like, if you're expecting us to just ball on microphone every time we go through one of these, it's probably not going to happen. Like it, there's a certain like scientific element to it where you've removed yourself from the process so much that like, you just want to talk about the substance of the moment and not get caught up in the emotion of it. I mean, it's not to say these aren't emotional moments, but like, I don't know. It just, there's going to be a lot of sad shit over the next, <laughs> over the next season plus. And, and if we, we may have to be, 
took cry breaks for every single one, it wouldn't make for very good listening. You'd get really tired of hearing our snotty voices. Like We may just have to be pedantic, stupid dumbasses to survive. As a coping mechanism, exactly. Yeah. We're millennials. We use humor to cope with the decaying nature oh, of the world. There's gonna be some us. fucking dark humor, folks. There's gonna uh, be some fucking dark humor. I'm I'm giving Lizzie a pass now because I know she can come up with some pretty horrific shit. And when it shocks even me, it's saying something. But she she is either gonna make some great friends of listeners in this <laughs> next season, or uh, we're gonna lose about half uh, of you. I'm not sure which way this will go. But Patreon.com/slash/SanTonePodcast. Oh sure boy! I, to make sure you're on the winning side of that equation. Jesus Let's Christ. close this episode out with again the most tacked on fucking scene. Not to say that it's not a good scene, and I don't wish they did. Just just change the order. Like have Benton do his thing with Kanisha. Then let's go check on Abby and Luca, and then let's finish up with Mark and Lizzie. Why they chose to do it in that particular order of Lizzie and, and Mark first, and then, oh, by the way, let's check on Ko- uh, Kovac and Abby before we leave. It was just weirdly paced for me. Like, I would have I swapped those two. Um, I mean, I think the only reason they did it this way is because the episode's, quote, about Abby. Yeah, but, Abby but asten- I'm just saying. Right. As- ostensibly, too, though, you know, the visit was about Abby, but it was, but it ultimately, be- the story became more about Benton by the end. You know, like it, we can shift perspectives, I think. And But I, I see what you're saying. And, and mm-hmm. I can see, I can see the thought process that led them to do what they did. But, um, yeah, so uh, she's climbing out of Luca's bed in the hotel with the nice sheets uh, and goes into the uh, bathroom and turns the water on in the tub just to uh, drown out the sounds of her crying in the bathroom. And uh, I totally haven't done that ever. I don't know what you're talking about. Bleak. That's, that's very reassuring and lovely to hear uh, <laughs> when I'm about to go to bed on a Wednesday night. Thank you, dear. You're welcome. I give this episode nine cry breaks out of ten. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's an adequate number of tissues. Very, very little to complain about with this episode. Um, I think again, I think I could have done with an entire episode of just the deposition and and would have walked away happy. Um, and but it's hard for me to say that like, because like looking at looking back at everything, the only thing in this episode that I think you could make a reasonable argument, not even a good argument, but just a reasonable argument for cutting would be Benton and Kanisha. Like, yeah. that's the only thing that I can... And even that still has its moments and still has... E- even if we Lizzie may not be a fan of where the storyline goes from here. This particular episode, she is painted somewhat sympathetic and you do feel for her. And it does lend a little bit more context to the whole Jesse tragedy. So I'm not... I'm, yeah. I'm okay with it. Um, but if you were going to argue for something to go, I guess that would be it. But again, did we... Would we cut that to then give... 10 more minutes of screen time to the deposition. Cause I feel like that's just piling on at a certain point. Like yeah. it's too much of a good thing. So I think it's, it's pretty well constructed as it is. And I, I, I do love kind of the, the interweaving theme of the dance, the, the dance we do thing. Like, I think that that works really well as kind of a, an interweaving concept. And uh, I don't know. It's just, I really like the episode. I have to say, I'm really glad that this one especially, they didn't try to do any wackity-schmackity. Yes. Holy fuck. If They let it breathe. If this was seasons here. one through three, they would have fucking, Jerry would have done some wackity-schmackity shit. And as much as I love that man, it just wouldn't have worked. 
Yes, see, Lizzie. here I am where it's just like, I needed a lighter storyline. Maybe not wackety schmackety. I needed a lighter storyline in here. That's why I took a point off. Like, it's just but, so but, unrelentingly okay, I will sad. Say, and... if, if they had done a well-done, slightly lighter tone for parts of the episode to breathe, like maybe yeah. Kim and Carrie to have have a talk right whatever something a little lighter but not and not as but as long as it stayed out of the wackety yeah, yeah. end of the spectrum just something to break i mean up carrie was the, the serious carrie fulfilled that role for us in last week's episode like I know. her mm-hmm. her gay awakening is was like the that was the that was <sighs> the light palate cleanser in the middle of a bunch of shit whereas like here that's kind of absent and again going back to what i was saying earlier with jerry like that's sort of the missing ingredient when you, when he's not around. And I guess they haven't decided to use Frank to that degree yet. Maybe Frank's still very like early stages here. It is very, makes very infrequent appearances. So, and granted, I feel like his tone might not have matched for this episode, no. but like, no, there's no, just, no, no, no. there's certain, um, there's a certain lighter element because I guess other than Malucci, who's not having a particularly great time. And I guess gets the one light moment in this episode where he's... Yeah, he's flirting with Maggie. Yeah, and when he's hiding from his previous hookup. Like, that's the one light up moment in the whole episode. But who else other than him can you really assign those kind of moments to right now in the current cast? There's not really that much... Because, like, it used to be Jerry and, and to a lesser extent, Doug that you would assign the, the funny stuff to, and Carter, but Carter's spirit is broken yes. now ever since the, the, the stabbing and the drug, uh, Malik. Yeah. Well, but they don't use the nurses like that anymore, I you know? know? And that's a big Yosh. We haven't seen Yosh in. Yeah. We haven't seen Yosh in a long time. So, I mean, it's, it's just interesting to see how the, the deck chairs are being shuffled and how they haven't quite, th- this is still very much a sh- which is such a testament to the quality of the show's writing that they're able to have these all-time great episodes in the midst of such cast mm-hmm. kind of shuffling not just the principal cast but the supporting cast as well like they don't have all the weapons at their disposal that they used to or at least they're not feeling capable of using them in the same like i, I would love mm-hmm. to know and i'm sure at this point the answer is long gone from people's memories like who would have been involved but I would love to know what the thought process was of why they stopped using the nurses the way they did in the early seasons. Like, why did they stop becoming actual characters with lives, personalities, and, like, things that we could plug in to do lighter stuff like that versus now where they're literally just robots who stand there and give vitals? Like, when did that shift come in and why is what I want to know. But We should have asked Carol. Damn it. Damn it. Are we ready for listener responses? Yeah, sure. There's a whole shit ton of them. All right. We start off with Heather R. says, The more I see these episodes on rewatches, the more I love Abby and Maura Tierney. Yes, I'm starting with that. Seeing Abby deal with her mother, especially in this episode with the trouble at the store, I can see how Abby deals with us all in a clockwork, been there, done that fashion. Thank you, Daniel. Um, I think that is so evident when she apologizes for Maggie to Luca and says it's part of the disease. Although that line also seems like one for the TV viewer benefit, since Luca should know what's part of the disease as a doctor, right? As viewers, we're seeing this drama all unfold with Maggie and Abby for the first time, obviously, but it's clear what a pattern this is for Abby. Hence the episode title and her line later in the episode, calling it the dance they do. 
I think that Abby really wants to believe in her mother at times, but then reality smacks her again and her guard goes up. Until it falls, as we see near the end when she goes to the bathroom for a heartbreaking cry session as she hides her emotions from everyone else around her. One other thing on Abby, I love her subtle sass when she and Maggie are discussing Luca and Abby says, I thought I had him. <sighs> Tough to see the marked developments, especially the bit of denial it seems he's in with his seizure. And right before that, he seemed to take out his own frustrations on Carter. When Mark finally tells Elizabeth, I do like the choice of getting a little dialogue. God owes us one, and then simply showing their embrace and unspoken dialogue. At Lee 26, Heather says, My daughter had a, has a glioblastoma. Glioblastoma? Glioblastoma? Glio, I believe. Has a glioblastoma, and we kind of have to giggle at some of the mistakes they make in regards to Dr. Green's GBM journey. Being on Dilantin, Kepra is seizure med of choice, his scar magically disappearing, etc., However, it's because of me watching this show that I knew to request, request gliadal chemo. Sorry, guys, I don't know how to say that. Uh, gliadal wafers when she had her latest craniotomy, and we thankfully had a neurosurgeon trained to insert them. I hope your daughter is doing well. I'm just going to say that real quick. Mm -hmm. um, Grace B says, you know how much we rightly rave about Benton's is he conscious moment in All in the Family? Carter's, hey, Mark is another one of those for me. This this is definitely the scene I rewatch most often. Why? <laughs> I'm a dark and twisty person. There's your Grey's reference for the episode, Lizzie. And so, of course, Carter jumping straight, up, straight from self-righteous indignation to care, concern, and urgency are what give me the warm fuzzies. It's moments like this why I still love Carter even when he's a prick. And I love that he calls him Mark in those moments of heightened emotion. Fear and surprise when the seizure starts, and sharp relief when he sees Mark is finally awake again. Best Dana Scully impression. Yep, that's how I like my Carter. Also, I love that Lydia and Chuni are the nurses in there with them. Seriously, watch Lydia's face when Mark says, I'll handle it. And God, the last scene in the episode. What a note to end on. If they're going this route, I love that they're doing it like this. Elizabeth made such a human mistake and such a human choice. But Mark's God owes us one, and I think you're allowed to be selfish for a while. What motherfucking raw-ass lines. Round of applause for the writers. P.S. Jelko Ivanek, Bruce Resnick, played Steve Atwood, a Republican who hates Josh Lyman on the West Wing. He was just as smug and cocky as Steve. Um, Matt Craven, Elizabeth's lawyer, the other lawyer, played the Secretary of the Navy, Clayton Jarvis, on NCIS for a while. He was fun to hate. At Leah1989 says, This episode was a solid showcase of people's humanity for me. Green Day broke my heart, as did Abby, who masks her pain. That closer with her is relatable. Wanting to be alone when emotions overwhelm you, but in reality, really, really needing to be seen and supported. And wow to the way Maggie's intro episodes give us a lens to understand Abby. Completely programmed to soldier on, be the helper, not the person in need, even when she needs help herself. Hmm. Hmm. Guys, who does that sound like? Shut uh, up. Me. Not oh. you. Me. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> in retrospect, I see her story as the journey of learning to recognize and unlearn this. The magnitude of this caregiver storyline felt unlike anything we see with any other main character. 
It's not the end of life care or caring for a growing child. It's caregiving outside of those typical life stages. How that profoundly impacts someone, especially someone without support who began this journey in childhood. It's the guilt of feeling you aren't doing enough or not knowing what the right thing to do is. It's a bit of a window into so many outwardly strong people's invisible struggles, and as she says, it's definitely something you can get lost in. In my opinion, it was then and still is an important topic to explore. As difficult as it becomes to watch sometimes, I'm glad they went there. One uh, thing that we should mention, or that I should have mentioned when, during the uh, the Haldol mm-hmm. shouting match scene, uh, that's the last image that you're left with uh, with Maggie for a good long while. Like we're that we're we're done with Maggie for about. 15 or no no not quite that many 11 or so Lizzie, 11 or 12 she's in next episode she doesn't come back after this until 319 or a, a 719 i was i may be thinking of because i know she like gets in oh i'm thinking later this season yeah she I'm will yeah, she will be right. back before the end of the season but it will be very late this season it's like because i know she is in a psych ward and she contests her like need to be there or something like that yeah so it's just a, a really thing, i thought that was i thought that was next episode my bad. it's a really haunting image to be left with of her screaming about the Haldol stuff and calling abby a mm-hmm. bitch and all that and thinking that you know we're not going to see her again until close to the end of the season that's pretty crazy mm-hmm. and last but certainly not least at the full-time dad friend of the show aaron says benton and carter's relationship is so omnipresent in the canon that we often forget how good carter and green play off each other and their best scenes always occur in the ambulance bay and often involve the basketball court. You realize just how much both Green and Benton mean to Carter and how much of a role they've played in shaping him over the years. And Carter gets to give a little back by suggesting that he get a second opinion. Beyond this, I love the strong work of guest stars Matt Craven and Jelko Ivanek, two of the most underrated character actors of a generation. Seriously, go find the Law and Order episode American Dream and tell me Ivanek is not a genius. And of course, the tour de force that is Sally Field, the Haldol scene gets to me every time, and that last scene between Green and Corday. God owes us one. The delivery of that line was perfection. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite absent desk clerk, Jerry. I miss him. I miss him so much. Two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews and over 50 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and whose fix are those where Lauren reads us some ER fan fiction. You gotta get on that. I think we said that last week. I gotta find that Luca Carter fic. Oh yeah, that's right. Duh. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Sanitone Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Sanitone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter, discussing unions, cats, video games, and naps at lobob92345. And you can find, also find me on Twitter, except I'm liking all the pictures of the union cat at jorts the cat. 
Be- perfect. Go everybody, go follow Jorts. Excellent. It has everything you could possibly ever want in Twitter follow. Um, but yeah, I am at Random Gamer. That's J M three R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.